This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 351, powered by Rageworks, broadcasting live Wednesday, July 13th, 2016. I'm your host, Rich, and our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. We air twice a week, now that we're off of hiatus. Wednesday nights, we cover MMA and wrestling. Thursday, we go into gaming and entertainment. Our air times are usually 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 p.m. Pacific, till about 1.30 Eastern Standard Time, uh, 11.30 Pacific. Either way... um, I think I fucked that up, but <laughs> in any case, if you're on the West Coast, you know the deal. If you're on the East Coast, we try to wrap up by one thirty. As I said, this show is on the RageWorks Network. You can participate, watch, listen, and chat by heading over to mtrlive.com. You can go there, watch the live video stream, streaming on Twitch, YouTube Live, Vaughn Live, and a bunch of other providers. Also, our audio is simulcast through Mixler, and also through Blog Talk Radio if you prefer an audio-only feed. Archived episodes of this show are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, as well as RageWorks.net. Now, a couple of things. Uh, If you want to listen via your mobile device, there are a couple of ways you can do that. You can download the Mixler app, available for iOS and Android devices, Download that, punch in My Take Radio, and you are off to the races listening to live, high-quality, 96K stereo audio. You can also call in our number, 347-324-3541, not enter the caller queue, and you can listen to the phone. uh, You can listen through your phone that way. The audio quality, of course, will not be as good, but it's just another way to listen to the show. All right. Uh, We got a lot of housekeeping to get out of the way. We got a ton of MMA and wrestling to discuss. I come back to you guys a little older, a little wiser, maybe. Uh, Missing a couple of teeth. That's a a story I got to share with you guys. And um, ready to get off to the races and march towards episode 400. Uh, But before I get into all that and the opening monologue and all the announcements, I would like to thank uh, our hardworking staff at Rageworks, Jay Santee, Slick, uh, Josie's boy and the rest of the team for holding it down 
uh, while I took my hiatus, sabbatical, whatever you want to call it. Uh, everybody stepped up. They did a lot of great content during my absence. Uh, ben and Taylor killing it on Black is the New Black. Josie's Boyd killing it with Call Me When It's Over. Jay Santy pulling triple duty between uh, his show, uh, the regular season sportscast, uh, TRSS Overtime, plus working the boards for uh, Call Me When It's Over. Uh, definitely very busy, so props to him. Slick, of course, holding it down on the content side. And um, I think uh, the, the break did me well. Uh, like I said, I took some time off. Uh, after episode 350, a couple of people weren't aware. They kind of thought I canned the show, uh, but I did not, did not can MTR in the least. On the contrary, uh, just got burned out, refocused, uh, reapplied myself, uh, kind of like the Seth Rollins approach, you know, redesign, rebuild, and reclaim. Similar, just not the reclaim part, but everything else, uh, definitely redesigned and rebuilt a lot of stuff. Uh, still trying to iron out the... Uh, the, the green screen behind me, which I think um, may not, I, I may actually just fucking can it only because there's a lot of moving parts to getting it done and I'm just not going to be satisfied till it looks right. Uh, I kind of got it a few days ago with a different camera, but that camera isn't as good for the show to give you guys a 1080p feed. Uh, but unfortunately, I may, I may be shelving that project, but you know, there's definitely going to be co- some cool shit in the backdrop. Uh, definitely not that white outlet, which is going to drive me crazy that I'm going to stare at it, uh, while I edit this evening, but definitely, uh, you know, we're going to be making some continued improvements at the, uh, Rageworks headquarters. Now I did want to tell you guys during my absence, uh, I, I did see uh, a big influx of, you know, engagement on the site. Want to thank all of the, uh, new followers, fans, et cetera, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all our social channels. Uh, for engaging and interacting right now we have a huge 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 game of thrones contest going on if you guys see in the back corner uh, there's a lot of prizes back there uh, one lucky winner is going to win uh, game of thrones prize pack three figures uh, crystal 3d light up iron throne display which is pretty cool and we will be announcing that winner tomorrow night at 11 p.m eastern 8 p.m pacific during the first 15 minutes of the show and, um, you know, get your entries in if you haven't already. Uh, definitely, for those of you that are checking it out for the first time, it is open to U.S. residents only. Uh, not because of anything for our international audience, but just shipping is a huge pain in the ass between customs, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the only reason why we haven't been able to do it until we can come up with something that's a little bit more easily trackable. We're going to try and just unfortunately do it for the U.S., uh, there might be another contest in the next couple of weeks, which I may open up to Canadian residents. I know a couple of guys from Canada were like, damn, you know, we're we're right. We're we're north of you guys. You know, we could we won't have as much trouble receiving packages. So we're definitely going to try and give something to our friends up north as well. But yes, uh, Game of Thrones prize pack announcement will be going down tomorrow. Uh, the winner will be picked at random and announced on air. So like I said, get your entries in if you haven't already. And uh, there's plenty of ways to enter. Nothing super crazy. There's no bait and switch. I mean, you know, you could like us on Facebook. That's an entry. You can like Dark Horse on Twitter. That's an entry. Instagram is another way. Uh, You know, there's so many different ways that people can enter. You can enter. You had the opportunity to enter multiple times a day. Uh, If you didn't and you're a Game of Thrones fan, you know, you 
kind of fucked yourself. So uh, that's that's where we are with that. Like I said, we do got some other contests. We're working on something really cool with our friends at Ripped Apparel. Uh, something really, really awesome, Deadpool related. So if you are a Deadpool fan, uh, definitely keep it locked to Rageworks for details on that within the next few days. Uh, probably going to be either one big contest with a big Deadpool prize pack or a slew of smaller contests. Just going to iron out all the details. Like I said, keep it locked to Rageworks or check out episodes of MTR going forward for details regarding that. All right. So now that we're back on air, regular broadcasting schedule will be in effect. Uh, obviously, Wednesdays and Thursdays, unless things come up or we have events to cover. But we will be marching onwards towards episode 400 going forward. And with that, you know, we're going to have a pretty consistent schedule. Uh, you're going to have the two episodes of MTR. Uh, Call Me When It's Over, TRSS, Black is the New Black. Um, If you are not aware or if you haven't been checking on the site or previous episodes or the update I put out earlier in the summer, uh, The Buried Show is no more. Uh, Quark and Blade have uh, pretty much called it quits on the show, not not for any other reason than just real life getting in the way. Uh, But Quark is holding it down, still doing a Buried column on RageWorks.net along with some gaming content. So you can still get your buried fill that way. But uh, in terms of on-air product, uh, the buried show is officially buried. No pun intended. Um, I did want to say that even though those guys did go their separate ways and they did shelve the show, a lot of people really uh, took it took it pretty rough. They were kind of bummed out that the that the guys kind of called it quits. Uh, different people reached out and let me know. Uh, that they were, you know, upset to hear that only because they liked the dynamic. Uh, even when Quark was doing the solo shows, people liked that he was kind of just pressing on, trying to carve out his own niche. But it's, you know, it's a, it's a tough road. But, you know, props to, to Quark for, you know, seeing the writing on the wall and deciding that, you know, if he couldn't give it 110% to not do it at all, uh, much respect for that. As for me, as I said, uh, during my time off, got a little older, had a, had a birthday, came and went. Uh, had four wisdom teeth pulled out, uh, went to the dentist. They were pretty much like, yeah, these all got to come out, got knocked out by the dentist, had all four yanked out of my head. And, um, I've been on the mend ever since, uh, starting to see some, some little issues going on may, may need a root canal. We'll see what happens. Uh, but it's definitely not going to stop me from doing anything else. That's for damn sure. Um, I will say this, that even though you know, I had all this time off. I was still working. I was still doing stuff, trying to find ways to make the show better. And, um, I got, I got some announcements with regards to that. Uh, there is, there is something special, something new on the horizon, uh, very soon, uh, coming to the Rageworks network, uh, ironing out all the details. Uh, but if you're a comic fan, uh, love collectibles, you're going to definitely be in for a treat, uh, with this particular, project that we are working on i don't want to divulge too much only because we're still ironing out some stuff but uh you know typical mtr craziness but gift wrapped for those of you that enjoy comics collectibles etc uh so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fun it's gonna be interesting and i'm looking forward to that project i will have details for that very 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 soon uh in addition to that I have set up a pretty much a retro gaming station down here for live streaming. Uh, we're going to probably do a test stream this Sunday. Uh, 
Uh, so keep it locked to RageWorks.net for details on that or social media for details regarding that stream. Uh, got a Dreamcast down here, original Xbox, fully modded with a MAME setup, uh, PS2, uh, maybe bringing down an Xbox One if I get the Xbox One S. So we're going to be doing some really cool streams, maybe doing them Sunday nights or once or twice during the week. We'll see what happens, but we're definitely going to be doing more of that now that the setup is fully operational. Uh, with regards to you know PS4, Xbox One streaming, otherwise... I did get some new hardware for that, which I'm going to be testing out. I've kind of been doing it a little bit on and off. If you've been following us on Twitch, you've seen a couple of test videos here and there. Uh, Did one on Xbox One. The sound was shit. Uh, But we're going to be ironing that out in the near future. And, um, of course, we'll have details regarding that. All right. So I think that's going to wrap up all the announcements. I see... uh, I actually see a fair amount of people in the chat... I actually wasn't reading the chat, so nobody really threw me off. Uh, Sorry, Slick. (laughs) I didn't even see that. Anyway, with that said, what do we got on deck? UFC 200, uh, Ultimate Fight Night, the Ultimate Fighter finale, John Jones and his litany of bullshit. Uh, We're going to get into Raw. We're going to get into the wrestling news of the week. Uh, We're... Hopefully going to be joined by a guest this week from an upcoming promotion here in New York City. Uh, Once we get details for that, if they do call in, I'm sure Slick will let me know. And um, we'll be able to talk about that and some of the stuff we're going to be doing with regards to an event that they got going on this month. So we'll see how that goes. But in any case, it is time to talk some MMA. So let's get to it. All right, so first thing we got to talk about is obviously the Ultimate Fighter finale, which, um, you know, was, I got to say, it was it was a little uneventful, and what bothered me about it was not so much the finale itself, but the season. Uh, I, I felt that, I'm, I'm not even going to try and pronounce her name, JJ um, and Claudia Gadelia had, had some really, really good drama and chemistry between them and that led to a very very good season but like i've said before i feel that the ultimate fighter as a show has not that it hasn't reinvented itself because it has but i just feel that the formulas become so academic that people are just leveraging the ultimate fighter as an easy one-shot deal to get into the ufc in the old days you know the ultimate fighter was looking for the best of the best that never had an opportunity that we're just trying to get to the main stage, similar to how Tough Enough was, and then as soon as everything got mainstream, things got watered down, um, it, it wasn't as good. On top of that, you had you know some subpar coaches, a couple of subpar seasons. Uh, there were seasons where they tried to go into like the real reality show shit, which I, I feel, in my opinion, ruined it. And um, the finale was actually surprisingly good. Rather than recap... Uh, the UFC fight, the, the, well, recap MMA cards in general, and we're going to be doing it for wrestling as well. We're going to just talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's that's the easiest way to do it. So, with regards to 
the good things on that card. Obviously, uh, the debut of Bellator's Will Brooks against Ross Pearson was incredibly solid. Really, really good fight. Uh, thoroughly impressed with that. Also, um, the championship fight, the, the fight between Claudia Cadelia and JJ was everything you would have expected. Uh, you know, a lot of people were expecting a finish. I feel that both women are super tough, incredibly dangerous, and they really know how to bring it. And because of that, I really didn't see the fight going to some sort of a quick ending. On the contrary, I took it more as it was going to end exactly as you would expect, which was, you know, in, in typical in typical uh, decision fashion, unfortunately. And because of that, it's not it's not really a bad thing. I just feel that it wasn't it wasn't what I had hoped it would be, which was that it was going to end up being a situation where, you know, it would be a, a, a one sided fight or a fight that would end, you know, in, in highlight real fashion. These women were incredibly they were incredibly disciplined even while filming the show. They put in a lot of work. They had really good training camps. They came in uh, fired up focused and intense and the fight definitely reflected it so definitely one of the good things on that card as I said Will Brooks's UFC debut against Ross Pearson was also very very good um, you know I think Will Brooks is a guy who's a veteran uh, in the sport everybody thought he was going to have octagon jitters uh, definitely not the case um, you know I feel that a lot of people don't give respect to Bellator fighters because they feel that Bellator is an inferior organization. And much like I talk about when I talk about wrestling, I say this. Educate yourselves on other promotions, other fighters, other talents. There's good fighters in RFA. There's good fighters in Bellator, World Series of Fighting, uh, You know, smaller promotions in Japan. Even on the local circuit, there are guys that are lighting it up just because... They're not on the main stage doesn't mean that they are inferior fighters. They're just waiting for their break. And I think in Will Brooks's case, you know, he had a really good showing, went out there, put in the work, as I said, against, uh, you know, against a really tough opponent in Ross Pearson. And he looked really, really good. Now, if I did have to talk about one thing, and I kind of want to lump this slightly in the in the bad category, was Gray Maynard's fight with Fernando Bruno. Now, the reason I say this is because Gray Maynard has been in the sport for a long time, and I feel like I, I actually thought he'd retire. He he had retired, and not to say that he's not an exciting fighter. I just wasn't. I really didn't expect him to come out there and have the performance he had. I mean, you know, they ended up giving him the fight via unanimous decision, which I disagreed with completely. I felt that Bruno looked really good, especially in the opening round. Uh, the second round could have gone either way. Uh, but more so the third, if anything. The second round, a lot of people were judging it for, for Maynard uh, based on the way that the round ended, uh, but I, fe- I definitely felt that the first and the third went to Bruno overall. But again, definitely, it wasn't, it wasn't a good fight stylistically to watch. Um, I was really impressed with Joaquin Silva, Andrew Holbrook. That was a great fight, beautiful TKO stoppage, 34 seconds in the first round. Uh, nasty, nasty hands, definitely. Um, the other one I wanted to talk about was, and this, of course, I'm sure many of you are going to have a laugh, uh, featherweight Du Hu Choi. He took on Tiago Tavares. Uh, nasty finish as well with a beautiful combination that floored Tiago Tavares uh, two minutes into the first round. 
it was it was nasty. It was an impressive showing. Uh, you know, guy came in thirteen and one against a veteran in Tiago Alves, a guy with thirty fights. Uh, you know, thirty six fights under his belt, and it was it was a, a really really solid performance on his part. So definitely got to lump that in the good category. Now, as I said, I kind of felt that the the only other fight, and and I gotta, and I'm only saying it's ugly in this case as a term of endearment was the women's strawweight fight between Tatiana Suarez and Amanda Cooper, which ended with Tatiana Suarez locking a really really beautiful Darce choke in the first round. And I mean, this was this was ridiculous. Suarez was really going after the submissions. Um, you know, she tried to, at one point, you know, she got out of a, a, a guillotine that Cooper was trying, but she was, she was looking for it. And as soon as it went to north-south position, it was, you know, I, you could see the setup for the Darce choke and it just, it was quick and, and really, really effective at, you know, about three minutes into the first round. It was, it was nasty. And, um, you know, very, very, very impressed. That's for sure. I really liked it. Now, you know, the, the finals for, for the Ultimate Fighter, like I said, you know, Tatiana Suarez took it for the ladies, looked really good. Um, Andrew Sanchez and Khalil Roundtree was the men's light heavyweight final. I, I got I to put it in, in, in the ugly side a little bit. And the reason I say this is because I don't want to say it was bad. It was just an ugly fight overall because it was, there was, I don't know, there just wasn't any fire. And this goes back to what I was saying before where people, they get on the Ultimate Fighter, they're in, and once you get in the house, they kind of coast, and then they get to the finals, and in the finals, you gotta go for broke, you gotta leave it all out there. I mean, the women had a more, a more impressive showing than the men did, and you would think at light heavyweight that you would see some, some really, really explosive, uh, you know, knockout power, some really good, intense fighting, and it was kind not that they went through the motions, but I just feel that they weren't putting, they weren't putting anything on the line for the fight, and, you know, I mean, they fought very safe. That's that's what I gotta say. It was it was really a a, a very one dimensional fight. So definitely, I gotta I gotta put that I gotta put it in the ugly. You know, it's it, it is what it is. It wasn't pretty, but um, it definitely wasn't bad either. It was just an ugly fight overall. And as I said, the good you know the good to round things out. The women's title fight, amazing amazing fight between two very very dangerous women. You gotta check it out. Uh, JJ secured the victory via unanimous decision, and it was it was a war. They went the full five rounds. It was you know left and right, but JJ dialed it in in certain in you know in the especially in the later rounds. I, I kind of want to say uh, Gadeha or Gadelia, depending on how you pronounce it, looked really good in that first round, and even to a point in the second, she looked all right. But you know JJ dialed it in, and she she really showed why she is the champ. So definitely a solid, solid outing. Uh, switching gears, want to jump into Ultimate Fight Night uh, 90. Got to say the good Eddie Alvarez taking uh, the title from Rafael Dos Anjos. Beautiful performance. Stellar, stellar work. Definitely the good. Um, Derek Lewis's fight against Roy Nelson was crazy. Uh, definitely another fight that I got to put in that category because it was it was definitely very solid. There weren't really any super bad fights because there were a, a lot of finishes, especially a lot of submissions during the early going. And then, you know, just a... It re- and this was what I'm saying, that there were so many good performances on this fight, 
on this fight card, which wasn't even televised. It was on UFC Fight Pass, which was heartbreaking, especially for a guy like Eddie Alvarez, you know, that that's a guy that is a main event caliber guy, a main event player. And I, you know, I, I don't feel that the UFC was disrespecting him by putting him on Fight Pass, but it was not, it, it, you know, it was just stupid to do that. Like, I would have honestly, as fucked up as it sounds, I would have put the Ultimate Fighter finale on Fight Pass and I would have put this card on TV or I would have put them both on TV and and left it at that because they were both really, really solid cards. Like I said, Eddie Alvarez looked amazing in his fight. Rafael Dos Anjos, uh, you know, he, he took he took some nasty shots, man. Eddie Alvarez is a beast. Guy overcame a lot of personal adversity, you know, made his way up through the ranks, fought in Bellator, got on the UFC's radar, had a slow start in the UFC, and now here he is, champion. So, um, really, really solid fight. Like I said, there was more good, there wasn't really any bad, and there certainly was not any ugly for this card. All right. Last but not least, let's talk about the big one, UFC 200. Everybody's super excited, super pumped. Uh, the UFC 200 card took a hit from many, many angles, as fucked up as it is to say. And I say this because I'm trying to get this chat set. I see so many of you guys in the chat, and I can't. Uh, let's move this over. Anyway, you know, UFC 200 on paper, and this is funny because, um, you know, Bill Simmons has a show now on HBO, and I'm not big on sports talking head shows. Not really a fan, but occasionally I tune in, especially because in Bill Simmons' case, he's a cool personality and um, very engaging. He had Joe Rogan on, and they were talking about UFC 200, Brock Lesnar, and it was funny because he said to Joe Rogan, you know, was it good? And, you know, was the card was the, card the greatest card ever? Was it better than UFC 100? And Joe Rogan said it was better than UFC 100 on paper. And of course, if you are a fan of, of of mixed martial arts like I am, as soon as these as soon as the card just kept crumbling and crumbling, I felt that it wasn't as good as UFC 100. And for those of you that are, that that are familiar with the sport, do do you feel that UFC 100 remains the gold standard for the UFC? And I ask this because you got to think of it like this. WWE, and, and, and I'm using a, a poor example, but in a way it makes sense. WWE has, you know, the core four pay-per-views. SummerSlam, Survivor Series, WrestleMania, and the Royal Rumble. Sure, you could watch a pay-per-view every month. And it may be good, it may be bad, but at the end of the day, like I've said before, it's 10 bucks, And, you know, you, you, you move on. In the UFC's case, every card that they put out there, since these guys are training harder and, and, and putting themselves through the ringer because there's so many cards, the, you know, the, the possibility of injury is just magnified every, 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 every time. And the thing that got me was the fact that UFC 200, which had, what the hell is that flying around, uh, a deeper, had a deeper talent pool, just, it just couldn't get it together. And, you know, we got we got the John Jones situation, which I'm just going to kind of put that in its own little niche to break down. But we also have, uh, you know, Anderson Silva stepping in on short notice, uh, challenging Daniel Cormier. There was a there was a big controversy which that with that, which we'll get into. But the biggest thing for me 
as a fan is the fact that I felt that every title should have been defended on UFC on the UFC 200 card or at minimum five, you know at least four fights should have been title fights with one opening and and the reason I say this is because you have your marquee event what's consider what you're considering your your WrestleMania you know and what you're doing is yeah you're putting in a couple of decent fights but what people want to see are the championship fights. And if there's any event to showcase that, it would be your 200th event. 100%. At the end of the day, you got to look at it like this. You have your light heavyweight champion, obviously, couldn't defend his belt. No problem. You had your women's title, which was defended. Your heavyweight title should have been defended. Overeem and Stipe should have fought on that card. You should have made it that at that 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 card was the card to put all your eggs in one basket. You you know the UFC was uh, you know they they christened this brand new T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. You had this place filled to the rafters with people. You should have gone with as many title fights as possible. It should have been at minimum at minimum heavyweight title defended, um, light heavyweight title defended, women's title, and maybe the one seventy. Uh, the one set, the 170 pound title should have been defended. There's no reason why Robbie Lawler should be fighting on UFC 201 when he should have been fighting on UFC 200. You could have put Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz to fight at UFC 201 since Conor was, you know, being Conor and the UFC wanted to punish him for it. But we should have had at minimum four title fights. Let me uh, take a look in the chat. Uh, Quark says. Good thing about WWE being scripted, they can control a match. In the UFC, if a motherfucker gets knocked out in 10 seconds, or if it's boring as fuck, it can't be controlled. Quark adds, why in the world wasn't Conor McGregor on the card? I'm not even a fan, and I know of him. Uh, The reason why Conor McGregor was not on the card was because he wanted to have a pissing contest with the UFC. Originally, Conor McGregor was slated to fight Nate Diaz on the card, but because he did not want to do press for for the event... The UFC punished him and took him off the UFC 200 card. That's the reason why Conor McGregor did not fight on that card. And it's the reason why Jose Aldo and Frankie Edgar fought for an interim title, which is completely fucking stupid because McGregor's not injured. And on top of that, the only reason why he didn't fight on that card was because of a pissing contest between him and management. So essentially, you had... Aldo and Frankie Edgar fight for a title that's essentially a paperweight. You're not the fucking real champion because McGregor's not dead. He's not injured. You know what I mean? The guy the guy just didn't feel like doing press. So the organization, you know, they played chicken and they won and McGregor had to sit it out. But anyway, aside from that, let's get into the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, good fight. Takanori Gomi, Jim Miller. Uh, a travesty that this fight wasn't uh, a televised fight because it was tremendous. Uh, also want to talk about Gegar Mousasi's performance against uh, Thiago Santos. Again, an amazing performance by the dream catcher uh, at, at middleweight. Stellar, stellar stuff. Joe Lazan and Diego Sanchez. Diego Sanchez is a company guy. He's fucking bled for the UFC more times than I can count. And Joe Lazan has had countless fight of the night bonuses and amazing performances the fact that he fought on the non-televised portion of the card is ridiculous 
And Quark, to answer your question, Connor and Aldo are champions right now. Connor is the official uh, champion, and Aldo is the quote-unquote interim champion. So, yes, they're both champions in the same division, except, obviously, Connor's belt is the belt that matters. Um, but yeah, Joe Lazan and Diego Sanchez, I, I have to put, the only reason I say it was bad was because it wasn't televised and it was a poor, 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 poor idea by the UFC to put those guys on that card. Uh, Sage Northcutt and Enrique Marine was a good fight. Uh, definitely not great. Um, I, I, we did see some great development from Sage Northcutt. Uh, he really almost got caught in a nasty, nasty submission, um, you know, he ended up securing the victory via unanimous decision, but that's a fight that could have been non-televised only because, I, you know, Sage, Sage Northcutt is, you know, Dana White's great white hope, but he's he's not really putting asses in seats right now, so I would not even do that. Uh, another good fight that I got to put in in that category, uh, Rafael Asuncao, TJ Dillashaw. Dillashaw had amazing movement. I don't know, you know, what he's been doing with Dwayne Ludwig, but man, Dillashaw looked impressive impressive from bell to bell uh incredible movement fluid striking the guy was a machine it almost felt like i was watching dominic cruz fight and it really obviously was not the case dillashaw just looked stellar and really makes a strong case for himself to get back into title contention being obviously uh the number one ranked bantamweight at this time now let's talk about the bad Kelvin Gastelum, Johnny Hendricks. Couple of things. Johnny Hendricks had trouble making weight, had to forfeit 20% of his purse to Kelvin Gastelum, uh, which is, which is an issue. Obviously, Johnny Hendricks is continuing to exhibit issues, uh, trying to make 170. Uh, big rig, you know, is a big rig. The guy's a big dude. Every time I see him fight at 170, I feel that he really should be fighting at 185. He's, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a monstrous dude. And the weight cut definitely looks like it was taking its toll on him, uh, especially at the weigh-ins. You could see he just looked he he looked gaunt, uh, had no you know he just had he he didn't have any pep in his step walking up to the scale. And when he got right before he got on the scale, I said to myself, "He's gonna be over." I it, obviously it wasn't a lot, but it was still something where you know the cut is definitely an issue. And you know I look at him the same way I look at a guy like Anthony Rumble Johnson who fought as low as 170 and now fights at 205. You got to find the weight that you're comfortable at. Looking at Johnny Hendricks, he might need to fight at 185 and I even think he could fight at 205 and still keep, you know, really really uh bring bring the power in that weight class. I think that fighting at 170, especially as he's getting older, it's going to become tougher and tougher for him to make weight. Uh definitely an ugly ugly fight. I mean, a good performance by Gastelum, but it was you know, it was it was a close fight in 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 the second round to a point, but you could just see that that Hendricks was he wasn't as crisp and as solid as he should have been, and um, you know it's it's crazy. I mean, Val says it in the chat. I agree with Rogan. Dudes need to stop dropping thirty or forty pounds to fight. I agree wholeheartedly. It's one of those situations where, you know, you know your your body better than than anybody. And there's only so much you can do. And yes, sometimes you can push the body to the limit. But the problem is that that those really, really, uh, you know, dangerous weight cuts, they really take their toll. And I mean, a lot of these guys that are that are wrestlers that have been, you know, wrestlers in college or in high school, they embrace the grind and they think 
to what Val was saying, you know, I'm going to drop 30 or 40 pounds. It's not a problem. Yes. Yes, it is a fucking problem because when Jimbo Slice and I were watching UFC 200, we were talking about, you know, Daniel Cormier coming in there and just looking, not looking his best. And this is what I'm saying. You know, you, you know, your body, you know, your limits and you know where you should be. And if you should be fighting at a heavier weight class because you have trouble cutting weight, then for the sake of your health and for the sake of not having to forfeit any fucking money, you should fight at the weight that you're comfortable at. You know, cutting 10 pounds, 15 pounds, even 20 pounds, I can understand. But as like Val was saying and Rogan has said before, you're cutting 30 and 40 pounds, sometimes 50 pounds, you know? And it's like... Jimbo Slice said, if the weight cut is dangerous, then they shouldn't be fighting in that weight class. And that's exactly it. That is exactly it. If you're, if you're going, if you're pushing your body to the limit where you're probably going to fucking die or be hospitalized, the same way that, um, it happened with Henan Barrow where he fainted in the, in the, uh, in their locker room because the weight cut was too much. You should not be fighting in that weight class. Period. Like, is it really worth it to you in the long run to put your body through the ringer for what? Look at look at um, Johnny Hendricks case. The guy was a, a great 175, you know, he was a great 170 pounder. But, you know, it's been a it's been a couple of years since he since he fought GSP, you know, and he was up there. And he, like I said, he's a big dude. He's a thick dude. He shouldn't. I don't 170 honestly is not the weight class for him. It's just not. But we'll see what happens. I mean, there's rumors that he may he may be retiring. Don't know how legitimate that is. Again, rumors. But um, if Johnny Hendricks were to fight, I'd like to see him fight at 185 or 205. I think that he would be a problem in either weight class. 185, I think he really has the power to, to be a force in that division, especially with his wrestling. Uh, he can go in there and mix it up with guys, you know, like Weidman, and some of these guys, and really, really just look the part versus, you know, putting himself nearly in the hospital to make 170. It's just not cool. And in his case, he forfeited 20% of his purse, which when we get into the financial breakdowns for these cards, you're going to be like, damn, that's crazy. But yeah, he had to, he had to give, you know, uh, 20% to Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, the last uh, fight on the prelims, definitely in the good category. Juliana Pena, Kat Zingano. Uh, it was funny because somebody sent me a tweet and they were like, yo, you're picking Juliana Pena over Kat Zingano. And I'm like, yep. And the reason I say this is because, you know, Kat Zingano's a little older. She's been on the shelf. And Juliana Pena was coming back from a very, very nasty, nasty knee injury. And, you know, she she was an incredibly dangerous, uh, practi- you know, ground specialist uh, pre prior to her injury. And now that's exactly what she came in and she did, you know, she, she really enforced her will. Uh, Zingano looked good, you know, especially on the feet, but Juliana Pena dialed it in, uh, especially in the later rounds and really had Zingano in danger. So definitely in the good category for that fight. It was, it was solid. It was great. Uh, really impressive. So definitely got to put that one there, uh, on the main card. Good. Kane Velasquez, Travis Brown, Cain Velasquez needed this victory. Uh, he looked like the Cain Velasquez of old, and um, Travis Brown had nothing for him. I, I mean, we even saw a, a, a really crazy leg kick from Cain. You know, he, he had some leg kicks. He had, a, he had a wheel kick. I was like, wow, did I just see Cain Velasquez throw a wheel kick? 
And it just goes to show you that it's, 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 you know, Kane, Kane is definitely really trying to get back in there. Um, you know, I think that Kane, if he stays healthy, he's got another title reign in him. And he definitely showed that, that once he's a hundred percent or as close to a hundred percent, he is just as dangerous as ever. And he reinforced that in that fight with Travis Brown. I was happy, you know, for, with the outcome. I felt the fight was good. Kane looked good in that fight. Uh, victory via TKO. Um, another good fight, even though it was for the stupid interim title, Jose Aldo, Frankie Edgar. Um, I felt that the fight was good because we got to see, you know, some really, really, uh, crisp striking from Jose Aldo. Uh, but Frankie Edgar, he looked like he wasn't in his element. I don't know why, but, um, I kind of felt that, that he was going to push the pace a little more. He was trying to, you know, try and close the distance, maybe use some of that really good wrestling that he has. Uh, but it was really a bit of a slugfest. It was still a good fight, and I and I say this uh, slightly because I'm 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 biased in regards to watching Jose Aldo fight because it's always it, you know it's always like watching a surgeon at work. But it was funny because when we were messaging back and forth in the, in our RageWorks group on Facebook, you know myself and Val were talking about you know Jose Aldo being a fucking surgeon, and he was just you know just dissecting Frankie Edgar, and it was it was crazy. You know, and a lot of people were like, yeah, man, Jose really needed that win. And I go, are you fucking stupid? We're talking about a guy who hadn't lost in 10 years. And this is what I say about MMA fans that don't that don't do their homework on the sport. Yes, he lost to Conor McGregor in 13 seconds. Yes. But guess what? You don't write a man off for, for 13 seconds because it can happen to anybody. 13 seconds, it, it, all it takes is, is, you know, the right, the right kick, the right punch, and, and, and the best guy in the world can go to sleep. Like, that's just how it is. McGregor, you know, precision and accuracy was the name of the game, and he used it, and he won the belt. It is what it is. But you should not write off Jose Aldo based on a 13-second performance. If anything, yes, I'd be annoyed that Jose Aldo didn't take the fight with McGregor before when they called him and he was saying that he was heavy or he was fat and he couldn't take the fight. And everybody's like, yo, dude, but weren't you the same guy that wanted to fight anytime, anyplace, anywhere? Now you're talking about that you can't make weight or, you know, if you're going to begrudge him, begrudge him for that. But don't begrudge him based on the fact that he lost in 13 seconds. It fucking happened. Until you step into that cage and you close that door and you see what it's like, you can't you can't pass judgment based on 13 seconds. It's it's ridiculous. Again, does that mean that he can go and fight McGregor again and the, and it'll it'll happen? You know. See, Jimbo Slice brings up another point. He said, "I wrote off Jose Aldo because of how he handled his loss, then laughing that McGregor lost." And that's what I, that's what I mean. You know. It's it's if you're going to begrudge Jose Aldo, begrudge him for that. Begrudge him for, you know, the way he he executed outside of the cage, because like Val said, you know, you know, you you stay you stay in shape all the time. And, you know, Val says what annoys me about MMA is that they don't stay in shape off competition. And that's the problem, too. It's like, you know, in Jose Aldo's case, you know, the phone could ring at any moment and it did. And you you just opted to to not take the fight, and then you know to to Jimbo Slice's point, 
you know, the way he, he acted after his loss and then, you know, laughing that McGregor lost. It's like, dude, McGregor fought a guy in a different weight class that came in on whatever, two weeks notice. It's like, you can't, you can't laugh at that guy. I'll be honest. Even if, if Anderson Silva would have beat Daniel Cormier at UFC 200, I wouldn't write off Daniel Cormier because you're fighting Anderson Silva. But on the same token, I'm not going to say that you should look past Anderson Silva because you're fighting him on two days notice either. And we're going to address that in a minute. But in terms of the fight itself, you know, the fight with Aldo and, and Edgar was very, very good. Now, let's talk about the ugly. The ugly was Daniel Cormier and Anderson Silva. On paper, this fight was an MMA fan's wet dream for many people. For multiple reasons. You got a guy who's considered the greatest fighter of all time coming in on day's notice, fighting a guy who lost his rival, and you know, it was it was one of those things where we expected this fight to be loaded with fireworks. And instead it was loaded with smother and cover from Cormier, and Anderson Silva almost caught him at one point, and it just it was a very, very, very ugly fight. You know, people are talking about the styles make fights, and and that's true, but it was funny because uh, Donald Cerrone got in trouble because he said that, you know, uh, uh, Daniel Cormier fought, he fought like a bitch in, 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 and you know, I'm not, I'm not going to quote him verbatim, obviously, but he pretty much said that Daniel Cormier fought like a bitch, and I have to agree to a point, because you got to look at it, you train for this fight with John Jones. You're supposed to be in the peak physical condition. Your abilities are, are you know, off the charts. You're, you're dialed in. You're ready to scrap. Your opponent withdraw, drops out. You're fighting one of the greatest fighters of all time on two days' notice. Don't, don't get me wrong. Anderson Silva could have won at any point because that's what happens. But you should have gone in there and put that intensity, put that aggression, put that to work. Put it in there so that you make an exclamation point that you're champion and that you deserve to be champion. Because as much as people want to say this, I got to say this, and I'm, and I'm being brutally honest, and it's no disrespect to Daniel Cormier, but Daniel Cormier won the belt because John Jones couldn't keep his shit together. I'm being honest. I think that if you would have put DC in there with John Jones... I mean, even John Jones, who's a cocky motherfucker, said in an interview, if I can beat DC with such minimal effort while I'm out there partying, what's going to happen when I fight DC and I'm quote-unquote sober? Obviously, we didn't get that, but think about it. DC got picked apart by a guy who was doing coke and partying. Like, like this is the shit I'm talking about. And, and again, no disrespect. I like Daniel Cormier. I think he's a, a tremendous analyst. You know, he's a, he's a, he's, you know, he's an Olympian. Uh, he represented our country in, in wrestling. The guy is an athlete. No disrespect to the guy, but let's call it like it is. You got to go in there and, and, and really cement it because people always talk about, you know, somebody, you know, one of my colleagues was like, Hey, I kind of watched a little bit of the UFC fight on Saturday. Why do people boo Daniel Cormier the way they boo him? And the reason is because obviously it's easy to boo him like people boo John Cena. But the other reason is because people understand that even though you are the champion, you're not. Because guess what? In the fight between you and John Jones, the real winner is cocaine and banned substances. That's it. You didn't beat the guy. And that's the real issue. And it haunts him and it bothers him and fans see it. 
Because when he fought Alexander Gustafson, yeah, he looked good in that fight against Gustafson. But Gustafson was the same guy that pushed John Jones to the limit. So it's like, yeah, you beat a guy that almost beat John Jones. Okay, great. But, you know, I just I just felt that when you're a guy that's two hundred that that's supposed to be the elite, the champion, and you come in there and and you're just fighting, not to say that you should be fighting super crazy, but just really, really conservative. It's like, dude, you're on UFC 200 fighting one of the fighters who's considered one of the most elite fighters of our generation, and you're fighting that fight. You know what do you what do you think is going to be said? And and I hate to say this, and I've said it before, Daniel Cormier could probably cut and fight at 185, or he could he could probably fight at 185 and look good and still keep his power. You know, him fighting at 205, eh, you know, it's like, I, I don't know. All right, like, like, that's the thing. Quark says DC is an American hero. <laughs> the only American hero I know is Kurt Angle. That's it. Won the gold medal with a broken neck. Uh, Val says, um, DC, Gus gave DC even more of a run for his money during that fight, too. Jimbo Slice says, I hate fat boy, but I'd fight Silva conservatively too. That cat is deadly. You, you know what it is? Uh, and, and again, let me, let me be clear. Conser- fighting conservatively, I can understand. You know, respecting the guy's striking, respecting the guy's jujitsu. Okay, not a problem. But you, there, there was a point in the fight where Daniel Cormier had top position and he did nothing. Nothing. He, he as a matter of fact, it was in the second round. They um Silva got half guard. Cormier worked some short blows, some hammer fists, and then he just he just fucking laid there. He laid there. Like I I watched the fight twice and I said to myself, "Eh, maybe the first time I was a little jaded." So I watched it a few days later. And I'm watching the fight, and, and uh, he, he legitimately had dominant top position. And you're a, you're a wrestler with tremendous ground and pound capabilities, and you are laying there. The fact that they didn't stand him actually, let me rephrase that. They did stand him up. They did stand him up. They stood, because it was, it was ridiculous. He fucking laid there. Didn't even do shit. Like, I can understand fighting conservatively, you know, respecting the guy's stand-up, respecting the guy's jujitsu, not putting yourself in any position where you could be caught. I understand that 110%. But let's be real. You're, you're a fucking dominant wrestler. You're an Olympian. Anderson Silva doesn't know what to do with you because you're fucking heavy as fuck. And you're doing nothing from the top position. Nothing. You know? You know, he was, I don't know if he was too busy worried about fucking church's chicken or whatever the fuck he does, you know, that people joke about. But the fact is, you have an entire round where you're laying there doing nothing. You're a fucking human paperweight for for five minutes. Come on, man. It's UFC 200. Your belt wasn't on the line. Even if you would have gone out there and got caught. You would have said, hey, I fought the greatest of all time and I didn't fucking lay on top of him like a fucking, you know, like pick a fold and fuck it. Like a fat person and a skinny person fucking because that's what it was. 
It was it was ridiculous. It really was ridiculous, and it, it infuriated me because again. The belt wasn't on the line, and it was a fight. You wanted to fight on the UFC 200 card. You wanted to be on it. You're fighting one of the best guys in the world. Go out there and show that the only reason that you don't have that belt is because you're the only guy that fucking got lucky enough to win it. Period. Like, that's, that's the shit that gets me. You know, you beat Anthony Rumble Johnson. Okay. You beat Alexander Gustafson. Okay. But at the end of the day, you are champion because the guy that should be can't keep his shit together. Period. You know? I, I and, and again, I don't dislike Daniel Cormier. I think he is a tremendous wrestler, a great analyst. Hell, he's even a good ambassador for the sport. But motherfucker, you are on the grandest stage of them all. Show me something. Fucking laying there. It was an ugly fight. Period. You know, and and here's the kicker. Mark Hunt and Brock Lesnar, another fight that on paper should have been exciting. Fucking ugly, ugly. And you know what the funniest part was? Brock Lesnar was doing a Mark Hunt, the same shit that Daniel Cormier did to Anderson Silva in the fight before. And people were cheering it because it's Brock Lesnar. It's a giant fucking Cro-Magnon, unevolved caveman smashing a Samoan dude who, I don't know what happened to Mark Hunt. He just he just wasn't there. This isn't the Mark Hunt that was a master of the walk-off KO. I don't know. I don't know if it, you know, so people were like, you know, did Hunt take a dive? Was he injured? You know, there's tons of speculation. I'm just going to say this. The same fight that we watched between Cormier and Silva kind of played out exactly the same with Brock and Mark Hunt. But Brock Lesnar gets a pass because it's Brock Lesnar. Which, again, this motherfucker hasn't fought in fucking five years. And he was getting a $2.5 million payday. And this, is all I, and this is the difference. Brock Lesnar came in for a $2.5 million payday. He could have fought conservatively. But that motherfucker was trying to shoot for the takedown. He was trying to fucking get in there. And I mean, don't get me wrong. He's a giant human being laying on top of Mark Hunt. But he took risks. He took risks. He went out there and he said, fuck it. If I get knocked out, I get knocked out. But, you know, yeah, I'm going to look cool doing it. And that's what it is. You know, people for people to say that Mark Hunt took a dive, that's not the case. You're fighting a guy who is just on a different level. Brock Lesnar, as, a, as an athlete, not as a fighter, as an athlete, is a different human being. And this is what people fail to comprehend. Mark Hunt can beat up anybody in the fucking street so for anybody to say yo man mark hunt fuck that guy it's like yo man that guy will probably crush your fucking skull with one punch but it just it it just something seemed off i mean it uh, it wasn't that he took a fucking dive he did not take a dive and for people that are on twitter pontificating oh you know mark hunt it it felt scripted fuck you you know, like, like it's the same fight with two different individuals. You know, Brock Lesnar's fight with Mark Hunt was the same fight as DC and Anderson Silva. The only thing was Brock made it somewhat exciting. You know, I mean, he was he was working cautiously, but Brock Lesnar threw fucking leg kicks. Brock Lesnar threw a leg kick. Listen to that. 
Brock Lesnar threw a leg kick. <laughs> Just let that sink in. You know? Jimbo Slice was like, I was mad that I didn't get to see Lesnar's chin. I agree. But there's a couple of things I got to also put out there. Brock Lesnar went into this fight with a 5-inch height advantage and a 9-inch reach advantage going into this fight, which Val also mentioned in the chat. You know, for people that were expecting Mark Hunt to come in there and and deliver a knockout, absolutely. But he had to get past them fucking long orangutan arms that Brock Lesnar has. And yes, it was an ugly fight. Ugly. Ugly fight. But again, people are going to cheer it and they're going to think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread because it's Brock Lesnar, a motherfucker that, you know, diverticulitis cut his career short. He came back after a layoff, fought a dangerous, dangerous dude that's a that's a top 10 heavyweight and won. And that's what people are enamored with. Everybody's like, oh, my God, Brock Lesnar. It's like, yeah, the coolest thing about Brock Lesnar is that the motherfucker got off his couch, got in the gym and defeated the number eight fight, the number eight ranked heavyweight in the UFC. That's the only cool part of that story. You know? That's it. For people that are saying, oh, you know, Mark Hunt could have gone in there and, you know, he could have taken some risks. What risks is Mark Hunt going to take? When me and Jimbo Slice were watching that fight, Mark Hunt's hand was cocked the entire time ready to smash Brock Lesnar into another dimension. The entire fucking time. Ready. He just just ready. You know, posted up. Ready for to fucking drop him. And he didn't. It is what it is. You know? It is what it is. But for anybody that's saying that the Brock Lesnar fight was this 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 magnificent spectacle, it fucking wasn't. It was only cool because Brock was the one doing the shit. Period. You know, Mark Hunt has zero ground game and he's he's made no fucking qualms about it. He said, yo, I don't like Mark Hunt is all about stand and trade and put you to sleep. Ground game. What ground game? The only thing Mark Hunt does well with regards to the ground game is he's pretty good at stopping the takedown because most times he stops the takedown with his fucking fist. (laughs) That's what he does. Mark Hunt stops takes down stops takedowns with his fucking fist. That's how he stops takedowns. Period. Again, what was it was it a fight that on paper was going to be amazing? Absolutely. Absolutely. On paper it was like, "Oh my god, this is fucking great." But we saw the fight and it was the same fight. It almost felt like we were watching the same fight repeating itself. That's it. Like I said, it just looked cool cuz Brock did it. That's it. And, you know, again, I commend Brock Lesnar. The motherfucker came back after a layoff, defeated a number eight rank heavyweight. Not too many motherfuckers are going to do that. Whether you love him or hate him or whatever the case may be. Mark Hunt had zero ground game. That we know. He wasn't going to try and go for any sort of submissions or anything. So Brock Lesnar was going to sit there and hit him with fucking rabbit punches and fucking hammer fists for 20 straight minutes. Like, that's just how it was going to be for 15, sorry, 15 minutes of fucking Brock Lesnar knocking on your fucking head, letting you know that he's waiting for you. That's it. Knocking on your fucking head for 15 minutes. Are you there? Are you there? Housekeeping, fluff pillow, 
Like that's what he did when he got when he got Mark Hunt on the ground. And this is funny because as Jimbo Slice and I are watching a fight, where you know Jimbo Slice is like, "Yo, man, he got a fucking he got a choke right there. He got this right there." And it's the same thing I've said before. Brock Lesnar has one very very big problem. And it's the same problem that BJ Penn has, which is these guys hire guys to come in and train them. They don't go to camps. They don't go to, you know, it's like Allen Iverson going to practice. Brock Lesnar's like, yo, camp? Why? Camp, why? Why do I got to do that? He's like, yo, I need six heavyweights, a middleweight, and a lightweight that I can fucking put on two slices of bread for lunch. Like, that's what he does. He picks up the phone, send me, you know, a lightweight for a snack. And a couple of heavyweights, and that's it. And then they show up, they get paid, and they leave. Brock doesn't go and, and, and deal with, you know, a dedicated striking coach. He doesn't go and deal with a dedicated Muay Thai coach. Brock Lesnar's not fucking rolling with a gi, learning Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's not fucking Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar's shooting bears, eating fucking deer, sleeping next to Sable, coming in the ring and punching people in the face and going home. With $2.5 million in the bank. That's what Brock Lesnar is doing. Not Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Not fucking Muay Thai. Not boxing. Brock Lesnar is fighting in the wrestling in the WWE. Fighting for the UFC. And collecting paycheck after paycheck after paycheck. Why? Because he is a giant Cro-Magnon. You know, Shao Kahn looking motherfucker. That's it. Anything else is is bullshit. Simple as that. But I hate to tell you, anybody who's out there saying that this was a great fight, it fucking wasn't. It was an ugly spectacle. Ugly. Ugly, 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 ugly. Ugly spectacle from bell to bell. Both fights. It is what it is. All right. Let's talk about Misha Tate essentially fucking folding and Amanda Nunez pretty much giving her reconstructive nose surgery with her fist. Um, I'll tell you why this was a good fight. <laughs> I'll tell you why this was a good fight. This was a good fight for a couple of reasons. Number one, we got to see Misha Tate get tested by a legitimate, well-rounded mixed martial artist. Amanda Nunez has great striking, great Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and she definitely showcased the striking, that's for sure. It was, it, was, it was exactly what you would have expected. And this is the whole problem. The women's division, the women's bantamweight division is loaded with talent. But the problem is that there is not one athlete, well, let me rephrase that. There was one athlete that was head and shoulders above them all. It was Ronda. And Ronda got caught. Because Ronda... For all the judo she knows, had shitty hands. And, and, you know, her stand-up wasn't great. It wasn't. So when she fought somebody who had better stand-up, she got put to sleep. Holly Holm, great stand-up, good wrestling, shitty submission defense. So you fight somebody who has better submissions, ipso facto, dead. So you got that. And in Misha Tate's case, good wrestling, decent stand-up, but when you're defending with your hands up like this, like stop or my mom will shoot, you're going to get punched in the face. And I was questioning that. I'm watching her doing stand-up, and she's like this. I, I thought she was going to put Vaseline on her forehead 
and take her earrings off because she's doing she's like this i'm like what is that what is this tong po fucking stance that you're doing fucking chin up hands up what what is happening and that's exactly what it was got picked apart she got picked apart and choked out like that and now we have a brand new women's bantamweight champion and that my friends is the good so ufc 200 as a whole was a solid card solid was it legendary maybe if you want to talk about brock lesnar's return sure but was it better than ufc 100 not a chance in hell zero zero chance donut it wasn't it was a good card but it was not it wasn't what you would expect now Obviously, UFC 201 is around the corner, end of the month. Robbie Lawler, Tyron Woodley, that fight is going to be bananas. A couple of reasons. Both guys are good in terms of wrestling, and both guys got knockout power in their hands, and Robbie Lawler is all about going in there and having wars. This guy literally takes years off people's life fighting them. He changes guys. Guys come out of fights with him, and they're not the same. They're not the same. Completely different dudes when it's all when it's all said and done. But before I get into the other MMA news of the week, of course the big buzzword, obviously, um, Amanda Nunes, obviously her her sexual orientation, of course, became a big headline because it's oh the UFC has their first, you know, fighter, their first their first champion. Obviously, um, Amanda Nunes is, you know, has a has a different sexual preference. And, of course, immediately the next day, and I said it like clockwork. I said, let's wait for it. And I wake up. I kid you not. I wake up Sunday afternoon and I look at, I want to say it was Yahoo or TMZ. And it's like, oh, the UFC has their first, you know, uh, their first gay champion. And I'm like, why is that a fucking thing? Why? Couldn't it just be a women's champion? Or we got a brand new women's champion? No, it's got to be, oh, we got the, why? Why? Again, labels, ladies and gentlemen. Let's move past fucking labels. How about it? You know? It's the same thing I've talked about with, with gaming. And Slick knows this. There's not Hispanic gamers and African-American gamers and Asian gamers. It's just gamers. Same thing with comic fans. We don't got Hispanic comic fans and African-American comic fans. Just comic fans. But that's, but that's, that's how it goes. You know, labels. We got to get the buzzword. We got to get the, the clicks. We got to get the traffic. So let's talk about... Oh, and again, I have no problem... Zero, 100% zero problem with an athlete acknowledging their sexual orientation in any capacity. Because to some athletes, to some individuals, they look at that as, you know, a way to, to break down walls, to break down barriers, period. And I understand that. But when the general public is utilizing that like it's some big fucking Jeopardy daily double cash grab, it's stupid. You know? 
it, it, it's it's something that we've talked about with with Marvel and you know all their changes. Oh, you know we're gonna make the Hulk Asian and we're gonna make Iron Man a, a, a woman or this or that. Listen, I understand what you're doing, and I've said this before. I understand what's being done, and I understand that you're trying to create characters and things. So for for young for individuals to look at and be like, hey, this person looks like me, and that's fine. But again, just because you want to make something for someone else doesn't mean that you have to reinvent the fucking wheel. It doesn't. Amanda Nunes won the belt as a fighter, as a women's bantamweight champion. Her sexual orientation has nothing to do with the fact that she fucking dismantled. Misha Cupcake Tate. Zero. Nothing. If you're going to use that as a, as a headline to grab people's attention, it is fucking stupid and lazy. The same people that are writing about her sexual orientation, do you know about her upbringing? Do you know about, you know, her, her life in Brazil? Do you know about her job? Do you know what she did before she became a mixed martial artist? No, I bet you not. I bet you you were chomping at the bit. Oh, we're going to talk about her sexual orient. Who cares? Who cares? Um, can somebody remind me uh, of the NFL player, uh, the college player that came out and was drafted to the NFL? Can somebody, I don't remember his name because I'm not, I follow football casually. Can somebody look that up? Slick, do, can you do me that favor and find that for me? And the reason I want to discuss that is because when that when that when that gentleman came out of, you know, came out of the closet, you know, it became this entire big deal about, oh, you know, how are other athletes going to react to him? Blah, blah. It's like, yo, the motherfucker is there to play a game. Who cares? What's it like being in the locker room with him? Thank you, Michael Sam. Thank you, Slick. Who cares? Who cares? And this is the problem. This is this, my friends, is the problem. That you want to be, you want to be, uh, uh, you know, you want your sexual orientation out there. That's fine, but don't, don't, don't use it as a meal ticket either. It's not right. It's not. It's not right to the people that have to deal with that on a day to day basis that are just trying to survive. And the media shouldn't be leveraging that. For the sake of generating buzz and clicks. Amanda Nunes won the belt based on her academic academic, um, athletic prowess. She was an athlete. She went in there. She fought. Doesn't matter who she sleeps next next to. Who she wakes up next to. She punches motherfuckers in the face. Period. That's what she does. Punch people in the face. And you're done. You don't need you don't need to fit to check a box of your sexual orientation to punch people in the fucking face. Period. You are a fighter. Simple as that. Anyway, let me hop off this soapbox because I could I could beat that shit up the entire night if I wanted to. Um, let's let's get into some some of the other MMA news of the week. Jimbo Slice sends me the worst communiques sometimes. <laughs> Anyway, fight bonuses. UFC Fight Night 90, $50,000 bonuses were handed out. Eddie Alvarez, of course, took home a $50,000 bonus. Tremendous. Um, Ultimate Fighter Finale, Doohoo Choi took home 
performance bonus. Tatiana Suarez, of course, took a performance bonus because of that wonderful submission victory. And uh, JJ and Claudia Gadelia took home a uh, $50,000 bonus as well. In terms of fight of the night, UFC 200 bonuses. Amanda Nunes got one. Cain Velasquez got one. Not shocked. Joe Lazan got one. Big shocker there. And, of course, Gegard Mousasi got one as well. So, now that we've talked about bonuses, let's talk about fight money. I want to put this out there because, like I said, Brock Lesnar (laughs) made $2.5 million, no win bonus, after his victory against Mark Hunt. Mark Hunt made $700,000. Now, I want to mention this uh, Johnny Hendricks. Johnny Hendricks made $80,000. He was supposed to make a hundred, had to give up the 20%. Kelvin Gastelum walked away with an $86,000 purse, which included a $33,000 win bonus and $20,000 from Hendricks purse. Now think about it. Kelvin Gastelum made $86,000 from that $86,000. You got to pay your coaches. You got to pay for travel expenses and you got to pay fucking taxes. You walk away with nothing. Not with nothing, but definitely not with the amount of money that you would hope. Now, I just want to put this out there because, you know, Val Val is a big fan of Sage Northcutt. Sage Northcutt made $100,000. His opponent made $13,000. Let that sink in for a second, guys. Sage Northcutt made $100,000. And the guy he defeated made $13,000 at this point. Like I said, still got to count taxes, training expenses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I just wanted to put that out there, folks, because that is some crazy, crazy, crazy shit. Anyway, let's talk about good old John Jones. As many of you know, John Jones was flagged by the uh, USADA for having a potential doping violation. Now, obviously, uh, people were waiting for the results of the B sample because usually there's the A sample for primary testing and then the B sample that you that you compare it to. So our our buddy John Jones, we all know that the A the A sample that he had was positive. Well, the B sample came back, and ladies and gentlemen. You are the father. No, I mean, wrong show. Um, The other sample came back, and that shit was positive, too. So there you have it. Not only was the A sample bad, the B sample was bad. And obviously, nobody wants to acknowledge what John Jones tested positive for. But both Chael and one other individual said that he tested positive for estrogen blockers which are put in place after coming off of a cycle of roids to prevent, uh, you know, getting boobs for, you know, the short version. Obviously, there's, there's a big science behind it. But, um, yeah, John Jones, estrogen blockers. <sighs> but that's okay because, you know, John Jones went from looking like a reasonable fucking scarecrow to a superhero in, in nine months or whatever it was, but nobody, nobody, ba- oh, John Jones is powerlifting and he's training hard. You know, it's like, okay, guy went from looking like a scarecrow to looking like a superhero like this. Oh, yeah, you know, he changed his training regimen. Of, of course he did. And again, that's not saying that you can't, you know, you can't change your body, you can't change your diet, 
You can't get a good dietitian, uh, good training. Again, not taking any of that away because it can be done. But let me put this in perspective. John Jones was willing to fight while doing cocaine. Does anyone think for one second that he would not do anything else? We're talking about a guy that had zero issue fighting with cocaine in his system. So for for you to say, oh, you know, John Jones, I'm shocked. You're shocked. Why? Why? Because he's not snorting the fucking salt out of the fucking tears of his fans? Come on, man. And and here's the thing. Dana White, obviously, super pissed off. Uh, he was, I, I believe it was on Colin Cowherd's show. And they were like, oh, you know, what do you think about that? And he was like, I don't even want to talk to him. How, how are you going to talk to him? How are you going to talk to John Jones after the fucking guy three or four days ago was hyping up the biggest fight of that your organization has put on and you're doing fucking whatever it is. Now, now here's a couple of things. Allow me, allow me to put this in perspective. If John Jones was doing anything illegal, you know, any, any sort of supplementation, motherfuckers had to know, had to know they had to know. And it is your job, whether you're his manager, his coach, whatever the case may be, to say, hey, you might get flagged for this. Because, of course, everybody's like, oh, well, you know, the, his management, you know, they, 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 they should have been aware of the supplements that he was taking. Yes, they should have. But you also should be aware of the fact that your client fucking likes nose candy. And because of that, nothing should be shocking. Nothing. Nothing like everybody's like, oh, you know, this is a this is a this is a, a huge blow to John Jones fans. Oh, so so him snorting coke. It was not him nearly killing a pregnant woman and running from the scene of the crime in his little Reebok sneakers. Oh, no, that that was just, you know, that, that was fucking Tuesday. Oh, yeah. You know, what's this going to do to John Jones fan base? Oh, so so the coke, the coke wasn't the coke wasn't bad. The, the coke was OK. It's 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 absurd. It is absurd, ladies and gentlemen. But yes, uh, John Jones' A sample and B sample was positive for whatever banned substance that he allegedly had. Now, of course, the funny thing is that, like I said, Chael said it was estrogen blockers. Rashad Evans also said that it was estrogen blockers. He was doing uh, some stuff for CBS Sports, and in a video that they put out, he said... That he te- they detected estrogen blockers in his system. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Oh my god, that's just that's just horrifying. Anyway, th- you know, you got a guy that, like I said, did cocaine. Full full knowledge that he was doing cocaine, fought while doing cocaine, and everything was hunky dory. Now. Oh, he tested positive for banned substances. Oh, well, what the fuck do you think was going to happen? Let me give you guys a little perspective. When Brock Lesnar signed on to to fight Mark Hunt, he got tested five times within like two weeks. Five times. Like, And again, with Brock Lesnar, I can understand why you want to do that. But damn, John Jones, do you not think 
that the United States athletic, you know, the, the USADA is not going to fucking be looking for any of that stuff. They are an independent body. They don't fucking work for the UFC. They work with the UFC. And of course, people are like, yeah, but you know, the test results came in late, whatever. Why'd they wait so long? Well, they wanted to make sure. It's it's insane. It's insane. The fucking guy has has pretty much destroyed his own career. And then you see him at the press conference crying. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Crying. Like it was it was like the the he's he's the, he's officially the Jordan meme of the MMA world. Fucking John Jones crying is the Jordan meme of MMA. Just fucking sad. Sad you're crying like a big old bitch. Because you decided, oh, I'm going to take these estrogen blockers. No one will know. Are you, are you crazy? You, you're talking about I'm clean. I'm sober. I've, you know, I've got this amazing training program. I'm ready to get my belt back. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, really? Really? Because last time I checked, getting your belt back didn't mean taking your multivitamin, your fucking kale shake, and estrogen blockers. Not part of the fucking equation. Not part of it whatsoever. Zero. At at no point did anybody say, hey, you know, the path to the title includes estrogen blockers. Good job, guys. Good job. So, you know, his manager, Malki Kawa, did an interview with MMA Fighting, and he was saying that John Jones lost an eight-figure payday. You know, Conor McGregor talks about whatever number he wants, and Brock Lesnar talks about whatever money he wants, but John Jones lost an eight-figure payday, right? He lost an eight-figure payday. His manager is saying that his client lost an eight-figure payday, and he's making it look like we're supposed to fucking feel sorry for him? Let me get this straight. I'm supposed to feel sorry for you not getting an eight-figure payday because you're a fucking idiot. That's why. Oh, I got to feel bad for you. Because you didn't you didn't take the right masking agents. Get the fuck out of here. So, of course, when they asked him about it, he said, John, at no point was a cheater, has never cheated, and has never taken any substance that he knowingly knew was on the ban list. Really? Really? He didn't take any substances. He, he's not a cheater. Not a cheater. <laughs> I don't I don't even know what to say to that. I don't even know. It's like the is the manager fucking doing the same coke he's doing? Taking the same coke? Come on, guys. Come on. Let's let's call it like it is. You're John Jones's manager. If you knew that he was taking shit he shouldn't have taken, you should have you the first thing is you call him up and you go, What I fucking tell you, told you you were gonna get bagged. And yeah, of course, you got to do your job as a manager to spin it and make it look like it wasn't fucking, you know, like you didn't know about it. But your client's a moron. Your client's an idiot. Like Val just said, Diaz, they tried to give Nick Diaz a five-year suspension for smoking weed. And John Jones thinks that it's all good. He He's on the verge of probably at least eating a two-year suspension. Unless, unless there is some amazing twist of fate 
that he did, you know, that it was a supplement he was using that he didn't know about, but I fucking doubt it. I really do. I doubt it. That's all I'm saying. Simple as that. Anyway, let's move things along. Uh, The injury bug has struck UFC 201. Demetrius Johnson is injured. His fight with uh, Wilson Rice is off. That's supposed to be going down at the end of the month. Um, Unfortunately, that is no longer the case. Demetrius Johnson is on the shelf. In terms of figures, UFC 200 had 18,200 attendees and had a live gate of $10.7 million, according to Dave Scholler, the head of UFC's PR department. Um, the two figures, both in, in attendees and uh, in terms of live gate, are both record-breaking numbers for the promotion. So there you have it. Now... I did want to talk about one other thing before we switch gears and jump into wrestling. And it's something that happened with um, Donald Cerrone, like I said. Uh, Donald Cerrone got in some hot water recently uh, because he used a quote-unquote gay slur during a UFC Q&A, which was aired on social media. He was doing the Q&A alongside CM Punk, and he took a shot at Daniel Cormier using some uh, less-than-acceptable language in today's climate. He said, and I quote, your boy DC, terrible, terrible. How are you going to give up weight and fight like a fag? That's what he said. (laughs) Um, Of course, they made sure to point out that the use of the slur came a day after Amanda Nunes beat Misha Tate to become the company's first openly gay champion. So let that sink in. He says that. And then in the same news item, they made sure to remind everyone that Amanda Nunes won the belt, and became the company's first openly gay champion. One has nothing to do with the other. Yes. Yes, she, she's, she's openly gay. Great. No. Insert foot in mouth. Donald Cerrone put his foot in his mouth. That's all it was. And, of course, you know, Donald Cerrone put out an apology. Um, you know, he, he, he issued an apology. He was saying that, you know... I was, um, I've got so many friends and fans in the LGBTQ community who I let down today. I can and will be better because I respect the community and equality matters. Now, again, this is one of those instances where, you know, you got to backpedal like a motherfucker. Got to backpedal because the UFC got sold for $4.2 billion. And the, organiza- the organization that bought them is a publicly traded company. Does this mean that the UFC will become publicly traded? Who knows? But the fact is that Donald Cerrone put his foot in his mouth. It happens. But the fact that you got to make sure to remind everyone that your women's champion is openly gay because Donald Cerrone said fag during Q&A. Got to remind everyone, you know, fucking show tunes. Come on. Come on. Donald Cerrone saying that is no different than Dana White saying some of the shit he said over the years. Because Dana White said some fucking fucked up shit too. And he's the president of the organization. Again, he apologized. You move on. No, we got to make a bigger story out of it because et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Listen, he said it. DC fought, you know, he said DC fought like a fag. And um, again, you know, that that word is offensive too. Uh, again, it's offensive. Same way... Uh, the, the, the let me let me rephrase that 
that word is considered offensive given the climate that we are in. Now, obviously, if Donald Cerrone was on his ranch and behind closed doors, no one would bat an eyelash. And that, my friends, is the bigger problem. It's not the fact that he said what he said. It's the fact that in 2016, you are an athlete representing an organization in an event that is streaming to the live, to the world, and you say that. The UFC took down that video immediately, obviously for for good reason. But as I said, different climate. As an organization, you sh- your athletes should be aware. Like, listen, the shit you say at home, you can't say. That's it. Simple as that. You know, I, and this isn't it's it's not a, a a sexual preference thing or a color thing or a race thing. Because listen, everybody sits here and says foul shit behind closed doors. Everyone. I don't give a fuck who it is. If you're a white person and you say, oh, I don't say anything negative about other races, but yet you cross the street when you see, uh, you know, a black person walking down the block late at night, th- that's it. You know? Like, that's 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 how it is. Simple as that. But my, my, my biggest thing, like I said, isn't Donald Cerrone getting in trouble. Again, you're a big organization. Shit is going to happen. My thing is the fact that we had to remind everyone... <laughs> about Amanda Nunez's sexual preference. <laughs> like that's that's the thing that gets me. We got to remind you, hey, hey guys, in case you missed it, uh first openly gay champion in the UFC, just in case you forgot the shit that happened a few hours ago. Yeah, that that. Got to remind you. It's no different than Raw reminding you about what happened at 8 o'clock at 8:30. Hey, if you're just tuning in, this happened half an hour ago. Same shit. Same shit. Anyway, let's switch gears. Let's talk some wrestling because MMA was a shit show. Let's get to it, shall we? We're going to get into the good, the bad, and the ugly of wrestling this week. We're going to start with Monday Night Raw, go into TNA Impact, and um, we're going to talk a little bit about that. I want to talk about, before before I even talk about Raw, I want to talk about the Matt Hardy, Matt versus Jeff Hardy, and the final deletion. And I got to talk about the final deletion because our very own Quark uh, wrote a very a very solid piece uh, of buried commentary and referenced uh, the final deletion. And um, before I talk about Raw, like I said, I want to I want to acknowledge this: uh, the final deletion, in my opinion, is it wasn't good, it wasn't bad, it was just something you had to see. That's it, brother, brother Nero fucking broken Matt Hardy it's like you get put through a table and you get an English accent and you sound like Sweeney Todd (laughs) like think about it Matt Hardy looks like Johnny Depp in in, in Sweeney Todd exactly like him brother Nero senor senor Prepare. Uh, the best part of that were the video packages leading up to Final Deletion when he's like, 
prepare the field for massacre. L- listen to that. <laughs> prepare the field for massacre. And then, and then, you know, you got Rebby Sky dragging the kid around, you know, fucking Puerto Rican sensational Sherry. It, oh, man, it was. And that's what I mean. It wasn't terrible. And uh, let me let me let me elaborate on that a little bit. In wrestling, we've done we've seen some terrible things. We have from Triple H having sex with a dead body to Shane McMahon getting jumper cables on his balls to the Shockmaster to Mae Young giving birth to a hand. We've seen some terrible, terrible shit in wrestling. And the thing is, it's so terrible, but we never, ever, ever forget it. And that is what Final Deletion, in my opinion, is. It is something that is not good, it's not bad, but we will talk about it forever. Because it is the craziest shit between the drone with the holographic Matt Hardy head, you know, V1, Vanguard 1, to, uh, you know, shooting each other with fireworks, to you know, Jeff Hardy diving off a, a, a sculpture that for some reason is just there for no reason in Matt Hardy's yard, and it was it was such a fucking disaster. From Jeff Hardy drowning and then coming out as Willow, and it, uh, <laughs> I, like I said, there's so many things that were wrong, but there were so many things that were right. And here's the thing. We all know TNA is not, they're not setting the wrestling world on fire. But TNA was probably the most talked about because of Matt Hardy's fucking craziness. Everybody was talking about it. There wasn't one website, one piece of social media that didn't bring up or address the final deletion. And and that, my friends, is the craziness of professional wrestling. We, we you know we tune in, we tune in to watch great matches, we tune in to watch uh, really crazy segments. But sometimes there's just moments that you just can't unsee, that you can't undo. And the final deletion is one of them. I watched, I watched it twice, and I the first time I watched it, I'm like, yo, this is the fucking dumbest thing I've seen. But then on the second time, you know, I understood what they were trying to accomplish. They were trying to go, you know, different, you know, totally left field. And I get it. I get what they were trying to do. It's just Matt Hardy's fucking terrible. Like, I don't know what the hell. Like, I, you know, he just fucking, he looks like shit physically. He's got the terrible haircut, the Sweeney Todd shit, the English accent for just no reason. I'm broken, broken Matt Hardy, broken brother nero like it, it it's so insane <laughs> that that i had to, i had to address it i mean quark did a, a magnificent job on buried like breaking it down but listen and i and i cannot stress this enough you need to watch it like tna put like an uncut director's cut version of it on their channel you need to watch it if anything just to say holy shit what the fuck did I just watch? Because it is it is insane. It is it is the epitome of insanity. Like like that's when you know TNA just stopped giving a shit. Like listen, you guys are gonna fight, 
and it's going to be outside and we're going to have fireworks and you're going to try and drown them in a lake and we're going to use drones and you know your baby's going to be in a fucking backpack it, uh, just just it's so fucking crazy like it really it really was it really was some insane shit but um those are those are my those are my thoughts on the uh the final deletion anyway let's talk about the good the bad and the ugly of monday night raw raw of course was building up to live smackdown next week and you know that was definitely at the forefront and um you know some of the good things dean ambrose's promo with seth rollins uh you know dean ambrose doesn't get a lot of credit in wwe because you know he he wrestles a pretty academic five moves of doom style and i tell people all the time you need to look up john moxley j-o-n m-o-x-l-e-y on youtube slick do me a favor find uh the best of john moxley or a john moxley promo and throw it in the chat room um dean ambrose is a is a tremendous storyteller when it comes to to really really dialing it in and um I think Monday night was one of those instances where we saw something special. His his ring work, like I said, five moves of doom, WWE formula, tremendous. But but that mic work against Seth Rollins was absolutely a high point of Monday Night Raw. Also, Kevin Owens versus Cesaro. You could put Kevin Owens in a match with a fucking with, with a torso that only has a head. And you'll probably get a four-star match because it's, he's just that good. Put him in there with a guy like Kevin Owens and you will get something equally memorable. Why? Because Cesaro is a complete wrestler. Sure, his charisma leaves a bit to be desired, but his wrestling, state-of-the-art, and top-notch. Looked really good in there with uh, Kevin Owens. Definitely one of the high points. Now, let's talk about some of the bad. Sheamus versus Zack Ryder. I, you know, every week I'm wondering if this is the week where they're finally going to pull the trigger and move Zack Ryder to that next level. And then you put him in there with fucking Sheamus, who is, you know, Irish sleeping pill. And, you know, it just, it just derails anything you'd hope to accomplish. And again, Sheamus, you know, Sheamus is, he, he looks the part. He's a, he's a good worker, but he just, I, I don't know his character. Like you got to find something, you got to find something for him to do. Because right now he is completely fucking boring. It's really sad that in you know the second Ninja Turtles, the high point of that entire movie was Seamus and the Turtles. Like that was really it. Like Rocksteady and Bebop were probably the high point of that movie because the rest of it was fucking you know not trash but definitely not good. And you see that you see that level of charisma, and then he goes out there with Zack Ryder, and it's just fucking terrible, terrible. Uh, Brizongo and the Lucha Dragons. Um, the match itself was just not good. Not good. And, you know, br- you know, Tyler Breeze and, and Fandango, they work really well together. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of comedy there. And, um, it works. I, I, I don't know why. In a twisted sort of way, the tag team works. I hate the name. I hate it completely. I hate the whole, let's take half of this person's name and put it with that person's name and boom. We got something. It's fucking terrible. I hate it. You could you could call them something. The Pretty Boys, whatever, something, anything. But fucking Brizongo is terrible. That shows how uncreative WWE creative is. 
fucking fucking god awful. In terms of their match with the Lucha Dragons, I think that the styles just didn't work well. I understood where they were going with it, but I I wasn't digging it. wasn't wasn't their that one of their better matches. Um, the other thing, the bad, the reveal, the reveal of the quote unquote commissioners for Raw and SmackDown. Let's not kid ourselves. Everybody knew from a mile away that Stephanie was going to run Raw and Shane was going to run SmackDown. If you didn't figure this out right before the brand extension was was officially underway, then you're you're just not a you're not a seasoned wrestling fan because we all knew that that's how it was going to go. Now, the thing that got me was you know you got Vince come out there. I want you guys to kill each other. I want you guys to to go above and beyond and get yourselves into trouble. You even do things illegal. Just don't get caught. Like I understood why Vince was there. I understood where they were going. But um I just I just felt that it was very uneventful because it was obvious. You know, I think, you know, Stephanie McMahon slapping Shane and Shane kissing her on the cheek. Like that was good. That was just really good sibling storytelling. But the whole build-up and the reveal was, it really wasn't good. Was not good at all. As for the ugly, Darren Young's IC title contender win. Um, I understand you want to make Darren Young great again, but when the motherfucker wins a match by accident, you're not making him great, you're making him lucky. Bob Backlund is awesome. Like Him being the crazy manager is cool. But I have a feeling that Bob Backlund is going to outshine Darren Young, and he's going to end up getting all the heat that you'd want Darren Young to get, and it's going to end up hurting his character in the long run. Kind of like when they had Vicky with Dolph Ziggler for a while. Vicky was just magma-level heat that Dolph Ziggler just couldn't really get out of the gate. It wasn't until you started kind of separating them and, you know, putting them in their own two in their separate lanes that you started seeing real character development. In terms of that, I feel that you're putting this guy, you've done all these video packages, and that's what you do. See, Quark says, you're fucking high if you think the Young story sucked. Here's the problem. Darren Young is an incredible athlete. He's a great athlete. The problem is that putting him in in a program with Bob Backlund and putting him out there in such a fashion did not do him any favors. You did all this build-up to make him quote-unquote great again, and he wasn't even great in the match. And that's the problem. In terms of the build-up, I like the chemistry. I think Bob Backlund has great chemistry. But the problem is the chemistry is going to be too much, and Bob Backlund's going to run away with it. I don't think Darren Young's the end game is terrible because I think Darren Young is a marketable superstar. As long as they don't automatically resort to WWE's first openly gay superstar, as long as we don't go down that route, then I have no problem. I think Darren Young is a solid talent. He's a good wrestler. I mean, you know, Chaco Cena. He, you know, he still you could still do shit with Chaco Cena. But my problem is that you're not going to let him get over with Bob Backlund being such a huge presence. Like, that's the thing. Like, you look at, when you look at individuals, here's an example, Enzo and Big Kaz. Big Kaz looks the part, but without Enzo, don't let the fucker, don't let him talk. Don't let the fucking guy say five words. 
because it is terrible. Terrible. When Enzo is cutting a promo, I got one word to describe it, and I'm gonna spell it out for ya. That's Big Cass cutting a promo. But Enzo makes it work because Enzo brings that attention. He brings that swag. He brings that energy. The problem is that in, in the, in the, in the dynamic between Bob Backlund and Darren Young, Darren Young didn't even get to show us anything in the match. Now, Cork is saying that the whole point of the story is because he's going to continue to get lucky. And I think that that's just lazy storytelling. Lazy, lazy storytelling. Slick says, when Enzo was hurt, Kaz's promos were not terrible. That motherfucker looks like he's reading off a cue card. Every time, every time he's trying to cut, I got one word to describe it. Or or when they're coming out and Enzo's fucking having a seizure on the way down to the ring. And he's like, hit him with it, Zo. It was, it was, uh, you know. Again, not to say that he can't get better, but it just doesn't feel natural. And that just goes to show you the guys that are great storytellers and the guys that are good wrestlers. Big Kaz looks the part. Looks the part. You look at that guy, you're like, yo, that guy is a wrestler. But you let that motherfucker talk, and it's like, yo, is he is he reading a teleprompter? Or is the promo on the Titan Tron that he is trying to cut right now? Slick says they were better than Roman's promos. Roman's promos are fucking shitty because Roman is another guy that reads off a cue card. When Roman Reigns is being hood and ghetto, believed at, looks more believable because Roman Reigns is hood and ghetto. I don't give a fuck, you know? You could, you could put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. Roman Reigns is a hood dude. And, and, and trying to mask it and hide it and mold it and make it kind of more accessible. It it just it just it looks robotic. It looks robotic. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you got to come out there with a do rag and a fucking gold chain and, and you know your pants hanging off your ass and yo I'm street. But you got to look at what makes these guys tick. And that's one thing I always said Paul Heyman was incredibly good at. Paul Heyman was the master of taking chicken salad, making chicken salad out of chicken shit. Think about it. This guy made Justin Credible, who wrestled in WWF as the Portuguese man of war Aldo Montoya. He took that guy and made that guy a pillar in ECW. Justin Credible. Think about that. You look at Justin Credible and you're like, all right, this guy, you know, he's a he's a jobber, whatever whatever the case may be. But Justin Credible was one of those guys that made ECW unique. Look at Rhino. Rhino didn't need to cut a promo because Paul Heyman knew Rhino's a fucking psycho. So he's just going to come out and gore people and and just scream gore a hundred times and that's it. Done. You have to take advantages of the strengths that some of these athletes have. And in Darren Darren Young's case, he has the complete package. He looks the part. He can wrestle. His mic work leaves a little bit to be desired. But this was where you needed to keep him with Titus O'Neil because they complemented each other well. I understand that you want Titus O'Neil to be over because he's a big dude and he's jacked. But some of the best stuff we saw from them as the primetime players, they cannot replicate on their own. Not yet. 
And this is what happens. When you look at tag team wrestlers, there's always one guy that that instantly stands out. You know, when you looked at the Hardys, it was Jeff Hardy that was the standout. Matt Hardy was the worker. When you looked at Edge and Christian, Edge was the standout. Christian was the worker. When you looked at the Rockers, Shawn Michaels was the standout. Marty Jannetty was the worker. British Bulldogs, you go, you look at them. Davey Boy Smith was the worker. I mean, was the, was the star. Dynamite Kid was the worker. Hart Foundation, Bret Hart was the worker. I mean, Bret Hart was the star. The Anvil was the worker. There were very few times where, where two guys balanced each other out very well. You know? And, and that's because you look at that and you see like the, like the Road Warriors. The Road Warriors together were amazing. And you can never, ever separate them because they only worked as a unit. Anytime you tried to, to, to push Road Warrior Animal by himself, it wasn't happening. Wasn't. The best parts were the individuals that you had to look at and you had to realize that the only way that these can be, guys can be successful is together. Great example, the Steiners. Together, amazing. Separate, Scott Steiner was head and shoulders above Rick Steiner. Any day of the week. Any day. You know, there's very few instances where you see that. I think even if you look at NXT right now, like American Alpha, Jordan and Gable, if if you were to look at them through the through the eyes of Vince McMahon, you would say that Gable, that Jordan is the star because he's big and he's athletic. But um, the real star in that team is probably going to be Chad Gable because Chad Gable can work. He can cut a good promo, and he just connects better with the audience. Like, that's how it works. So, you know, when it comes to this stuff, I just feel that Darren Young's story might be overshadowed because Bob Backlund is too much of a presence. That's all I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dismissing Darren Young in the least. I just feel that Bob Backlund is too much of a presence to make that work. Uh, the Ugly, Heath Slater's match. I like Heath Slater. He's a good worker. But I just I I wasn't digging it. I wasn't digging his match. I felt it was it was contrived, it was forced, and it looked incredibly awkward. Very awkward. Also, I got to say that uh Dana Brooke and Sasha Banks's match, ugly match. Why? Because we've seen the match a dozen times. It's not doing anything good for Sasha. It's just not making Dana look look good because Sasha's a better worker and it's doing more harm than good in regards to that. So yes, that is a problem. Enzo and Kaz against the club. I can I look at that as an ugly match too, just because we knew the payoff was going to be John Cena coming out, and I don't feel that the club are being treated in a way that makes them a legitimate threat. I just feel that it's three guys with a little catchphrase of beat up John Cena, and that's it. Which is a shame, because when you look at the Bullet Club in Japan, those guys were top of the fucking food chain. Top of the class. Now it's like, alright, we carry AJ's bags. Eh. The, the other thing. <clears throat> the Wyatt family squaring off against the New Day. A lot of people were saying that this was WWE's version of the final deletion. 
Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Again, I understood the narrative. I understood where they were going. But was it necessary? Like, I'm being brutally honest. Was it necessary when those two teams were going to square off at the pay-per-view anyway? It wasn't necessary. I felt that it was, uh, you know, overly overdone for for nothing. Nothing was accomplished. It's like, oh, we're going to fight in the streets. We're going to fight in the fields. We're going to fight in the mud. And then we're just going to go our separate ways because, you know, the KKK came out of the woods with the, with their lights on. Like, that's what it felt like. I felt like... It was a fight. The KKK showed up. The New Day saw they were outnumbered, and they left. I'm like, okay, that was uneventful. Like, that's that's how I see it. It was, <laughs> I, you know, I understood where they were trying to go with it, but super fucking uneventful. The end game, we all knew. Oh, they're going to fight at the pay-per-view. Thanks, guys. Thanks. All right. TNA Impact, as many of you know, is on Tuesday, so I got to see it uh, before this week's show. A lot of bad, I mean, a lot of good, no bad, definitely some ugly. Uh, the good, Mike Bennett taking on DJZ. Very good match. Uh, solid work, work from Mike Bennett, DJZ coming into his own. Very impressed with the match. I felt that Bennett, uh, solid worker, probably going to be TNA champion sooner rather than later. Um, if he would have came to WWE, he'd probably be super underutilized, so... I think he's he's doing all right. Uh, EC3 and Drew Galloway's brawl. I understand where it's going. I understand what they're doing with it. Uh, it was it was good because it it got to showcase the two guys that you feel are your top stars. But it didn't really lead to anything other than oh we're just gonna brawl because we we have beef. Like it was it was good, but the, it was good in execution. But in terms of the long game. It, it was it was definitely subpar. Bobby Lashley's match with Eddie Edwards was very good. Uh, you know, the X Division champion competing against the TNA champion. You know, great story, good narrative. Having uh, Davey Richards there, I felt the heel turn was coming a mile away, but it wasn't the case. Um, you know, Mike Bennett became involved, and he ended up getting help, which he teased earlier on in the evening in the form of Moose, uh, from Ring of Honor, which definitely was good. Uh, I just felt that Moose coming in there and manhandling Bobby Lashley, it kind of looked it looked a little odd, maybe just because Moose wasn't, you know, he didn't look his usual, uh, you know, wrestler self. Like, he was just like a dude with a lot of tattoos that you really couldn't see, uh, came out and attacked two wrestlers. Like, I understood, you know, it was a big signing for TNA. You know, Moose, Moose is one of those guys that people feel is a bona fide star. Uh, I'm not 100% convinced on that, but I think that it was something surprising from TNA. Thought it was very, uh, you know, something refreshing. Uh, the knockouts, as always, were de- delivered a very stellar match. Uh, Sienna, Sienna as knockouts champion is all right. I mean, you know, she's definitely uh, capable. Not a fan of her manager. Definitely has the worst voice ever. Uh, I like what they're doing with Jade. I thought Jade was probably one of the you know, the more established superstars in the dollhouse. Obviously, her feuding with Marty Bell is starting to run its course, but I think that when Gail Kim steps away, you can definitely build the knockouts division around Jade. Uh, definitely a competent wrestler, Mia Yim. For those of you that know her on the independents, uh, never disappoints. And this match, you know, this knockouts match definitely showed it. Uh, 
The Ugly, the aftermath of the final deletion. You know, Matt Hardy coming out, cutting a promo, a uh, really weird video package. I fired Jeff. Then I ca- I hired Jeff back, and I'm going to break him, and he's going to be my mule. And just just a lot. They did. They, they tried to do way too much when they could have just kept it short and sweet. They kind of just pushed the envelope a little bit more than they should have. Um, you know, I mean, is this going to pay? Is the payoff going to be that Jeff Hardy is going to become Willow? Is the payoff going to be that Jeff is going to leave TNA anyway and resign with WWE? There's, there's definitely possibilities of both of those scenarios, but I just felt that the segment was just, again, just an ugly segment. Um, you know, you could have done just a short video segment or you could have just done, you know, Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy having the face off, but all that extra shit, eh, definitely not, not the move in my opinion. Simple as that. All right. Let's talk about the other wrestling news, which, you know, there were quite a few I wanted to address. Um, first up, obviously we got the WWE draft next week with superstars going to Raw and SmackDown. Uh, a lot of surprises in store. Some people are saying that this is going to be the, uh, the Finn Balor call up, uh, with Balor being drafted to one of the brands, you know, to fill in the gaps. But, uh, the wrestling observer was saying that WWE has shown interest in bringing in a couple of different superstars to fill in the roster. Uh, one of the names that's coming up, I'm sure Quark is going to love, and that is Kurt Hawkins. WWE is looking at Kurt Hawkins once again to possibly come back to and rejoin the company. Kurt Hawkins, for those of you that don't know, uh, is currently working as Brian Myers on the Independence, the Prince of Queens. Uh, very solid worker, doing a lot of good work on the indies. Uh, good, good talent to have. I think that if you brought him back, I'd put him back with Zack Ryder. Maybe, you know, not as the major brothers, but definitely give Zack Ryder some backup because I hate Mojo Rawley, hate his fucking guts. So um, I'd, I wouldn't mind seeing Ryder and Hawkins reunited once again. Another name that's popped up is uh, Jimmy Jimmy Wang Yang or Jimmy Yang, uh, who many of you may know. Uh, he had that that one stint as like a cowboy, like a Chinese cowboy or whatever the fuck. It was terrible. But um, if they're really trying to do something with the cruiserweights, I think uh, having Jimmy Yang be involved is pretty solid. I think that, you know, with the Cruiserweight champ, uh, Cruiserweight Classic going on right now and names like Brian Kendrick in there, Rich Swan, um, a guy like Jimmy Wang Yang would be a good asset. Uh, they're also looking at Volador Jr. as well. Again, great, uh, uh, you know, a great talent. And also Rush, who had a talent, who he actually had a tryout last year. Uh, there's also a rumor about bringing in Roderick Strong who many of you may know is, you know, wrapping up with Ring of Honor, and he is now a free agent, uh, you know, giving him a deal similar to Austin Aries and Gargano and Ciampa. I think Roderick Strong it would be an amazing pickup, especially for NXT. Uh, he's a great worker. Uh, he's he's good on the mic, and he's just, he, he, you know that he's going to work uh, a really good version of the WWE style. I mean, if you watch Gargano and Ciampa now, and you watch Austin Aries, you'll see that they've just they've just mixed it in. They've mixed into the NXT roster with zero, you know, zero issue. I mean, Samoa Joe is is textbook in that regards. But the draft is going to be very interesting on Tuesday for that reason. Not because of where they're going to end up and how many titles they're going to be, but who's going to get called up and who's going to get signed that we haven't seen. There's a lot of potential out there. Like I said, you got. You know, you got guys like that, like Hawkins. You got, uh, you know, guys like Roderick Strong that are out there, or they may they may even go further than that. You know, they may grab uh, a guy like MVP. We might, you know, might see MVP or Shelton Benjamin or 
Who knows? Just because you got to remember, now you have five hours of live TV, two rosters, a bunch of titles, and you you know you you got your work cut out for you. Now, if if the brand extension works the way it's meant to work, then we're gonna get get to see a lot of guys get opportunities to shine on the roster. But if you know if if they just continue using the same five guys spread across two shows, it's it's gonna be a bit of a problem. I think um, there's a lot of good talent out there. Like I said, the Cruiserweight Classic, which started this week. Um, I wanted to talk about it, but I didn't get to see it because uh, I was watching Mr. Robot and Suits. So, you know, I'll, I'll probably talk about the Cruiserweight Classic next week uh, once I check out the matches. But, man, the draft is going to be fun only because, like I said, of who's going to be signed and who's going to get called up. I'm looking forward to next Wednesday's show to break that down. Um, while we're on the subject of the draft, as many of you know, WWE SmackDown now moving to Tuesdays. Impact, as a result, is moving from Tuesdays to Thursdays. So now you have Raw on Mondays, uh, SmackDown on Tuesdays, NXT on Wednesdays, Impact on Thursdays, and if you watch New Japan Pro Wrestling on Access, you got that on Fridays. So you got five days of wrestling uh, from different promotions. It's you know, it's a, like I said, a great time to be a wrestling fan. Um, it's definitely going to be very interesting to see, uh, how TNA does now on Thursdays, because we all knew that if TNA had to compete head to head with SmackDown, they were going to lose. So, uh, definitely good to see TNA, uh, you know, doing the smart thing, moving to Thursdays, uh, starting at 8 PM on July 21st. And of course, SmackDown on the 19th at eight o'clock on the USA network. So there you have it. The other thing I did want to talk about, uh, which is, Pretty pretty crazy. As many of you know, the UFC was purchased uh, for four point two billion dollars. Now, a lot of people were talking about the fact that you know could this could a company like the company that purchased the UFC purchase WWE? Um, you know, the UFC's four billion dollar sale in comparison to WWE. WWE has an approximate value, according to the wrap, of three point four billion dollars. Now, here's the kicker: what if? What if an organization like what purchased the UFC also purchased WWE? Not that it could not that it will happen, but think about that. We're in it. We're looking at a scenario where a company can buy the UFC and if the same company wanted to own that other market, they could buy WWE as well. Not that Vince is going to sell the company, but it's just very 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 interesting. You know, the WWE Network has a, you know, a, a positive uptick. Um, you know, they got TV rights deals that are secured for two or three years. Uh, there's definitely a demand for wrestling content. You never know, man. I mean, it's it's crazy, but it's interesting that they made sure to put a that piece out, letting people know that the, you know, WWE is valued at $3.4 billion and that the UFC sold for $4 billion. Uh, just, a, just an interesting statistic I wanted to share with you guys. And again, just oppose that what-if scenario. Because it could happen. It definitely could. Um, While we're on the subject of money and wrestlers, Forbes has named The Rock the highest, one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood for 2016. Well, over the last 12 months. Let me rephrase that. Um, He ranked number 19, earning $64.5 million. He was only ranked behind Kevin Hart, who earned 87.5. The article went on to state 
the rock solid box office numbers helped this erstwhile wrestler become the world's highest paid actor. Since helping launch the billion dollar Fast and Furious franchise and leading 2015 San Andreas to a surprising $473 million worldwide, Dwayne Johnson has become Hollywood's go-to action hero. Next up is a starring role in a Baywatch remake. I can kick ass better than anyone on the planet, he told Forbes, and I have a decent smile. So there you have it. Not bad for a guy that, you know, was the face of the Attitude Era and was the Tooth Fairy. Now one of the highest paid actors and also scheduled to get a, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame as well. So uh, definitely cool. Congrats to The Rock for that. I'm sure Vince is patting himself on the back. Damn it, I put that guy on the map. Um, with that, I am actually going to wrap up the wrestling segment. Uh, a couple of things before we take it home. Uh, first and foremost, join us uh, later today now that it's officially Thursday for the gaming and entertainment edition of my take radio we will be announcing the winners of our game of thrones contest uh those of you uh who are interested or are following that or did enter definitely tune in we're going to announce the winner within the first 15 minutes of the show so keep it locked uh quick reminder if you are chosen please make sure to get me your name and address uh within 24 to 48 hours so we can send out your package and please 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 Follow instructions. U.S. residents only. If you are in Canada or in any other country, we cannot give you the prize. Got to put that out there. Even though it's listed on the site and in the rules, got to put it out there to remind everybody. So again, Game of Thrones contest winner will be announced tomorrow night. Also, keep it locked this week for new episodes of all of our other shows. Call me when it's over. Uh, Black is the New Black, TRSS, and um, be on the lookout for news on a special project that is in the works as well. Anyway, thank you guys for tuning in to episode 351 of MTR. I am out of here. I will join you guys later today at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific for the gaming and entertainment edition of MTR. Peace. I'm rich, bitch. <laughs> Oh, folks.